Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So just for a bit of context before we go into this passage, the Corinthian church at this time was a bit of a mess, really, and they were enamoured by spiritual gifts, and as we saw from Rosie preach last week, they were continually interrupting each other, pushing for the spotlight, who was the most important part of the body, who could best demonstrate the gifts of the spirit. And throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul is constantly challenging them on being unified and encouraging them to love one another, as we see in this passage now. So I'm just going to read it. Um, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I taught like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these things, three things remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. So when I was preparing this preach and speaking to Tom O'Toole, who heads up preaching at CCM, um, he was asking me how I was going to open it. And I said to him, yeah, um, I'm not sure. I was trying to think of like a story in my life where I felt like the love of my family or friends or, you know, funny anecdote or something. And I just couldn't really think of anything. And um, he said to me, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I was like, yeah, fair enough. Um, and, um, but love is very personal. It's something very personal, isn't it? And so um, actually, as I thought a little bit more about it, I remembered this news story from a few years ago about, you've probably heard of it, about the Brownlee brothers who were competing against each other in a triathlon into the 2016 Olympics. And I actually have a clip, so we're going to pray that it works. Johnny has to win. And to be sure of taking the title and right now he seems to have lost control of his legs and this is worrying oh and he's starting to slow and there is a little way to go there's half a k to go and johnny is running out of time and he's losing he's losing his sense of direction this is worrying oh goodness me this is a horrible sight Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course. And Alistair's stopped to help him along. And Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel. 
as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. That video gets me every single time. <laughs> That's like probably the fifth time I've watched it this week and I'm still like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, so just the self-sacrifice and physical action of love being demonstrated in that scenario was just so powerful. As Johnny physically upholds his brother, they run together as one, and then at the finish line, his actions motivated by love, Johnny pushes his brother over the threshold before him. Without love, we are nothing. And that's my first point from this passage. I love to cook. Um, it's one of my favourite pastimes, shortly behind eating. And I love to cook with people. And uh, my housemate Rosie and I will often cook together, listening to music, glass of wine, and chatting existential topics over chopped tomatoes. And whether we cook something, whenever we cook something, we always, without fail, start with garlic. We chop garlic. Every meal, garlic. And uh, one time I even came downstairs and we hadn't decided what we were going to eat yet. And she was already chopping the garlic in preparation. She just knew it was going to involve garlic. And um, that's how my mum has always cooked and her mum. And now I put it in every single dish I do to the point that personally for me, a dish without garlic is a bit pointless. And um, the garlic is the staple undertone and basis of the recipe and everything else works around it and tastes better because of it. And now this is a bit of a trivial comparison, but stay with me. Um, the Corinthians in this passage were priding themselves on the gifts of tongues, prophecy and faith, but they didn't have love. They didn't have the staple ingredient. Verses 2 to 3 says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Spiritual gifts are primarily a way of showing God's love. With tongues, prophecy and faith, we can uplift and unify the church through love. The gifts are temporary facilitators or containers almost of God's work, but love is the work itself. Imagine it like this. The gifts are like a train going from one place to another and the starting place is God's love and the destination is us. God uses spiritual gifts to outpour his love on us. Without love, the train would be empty. Without love, Paul is saying here, our spiritual gifts are empty. It's love through these spiritual gifts that changes hearts and draws people into relationship with him. 
We've been going through the book Everyday Supernatural uh, by Mike Pivolacci and Andy Croft in our community groups recently. And it's been great to see God working in our groups and to hear of the spirit moving. Um, But as the book says, the end goal of any of these encounters should always be that the individual feels loved by God. There was one quote in the book that stood out to me, which said, Jesus said, feed my sheep, not try experiments on my rats. Jesus' motive when praying for people was always compassion. When we have finished praying for someone, they should always feel, always leave with a sense of both God's love and ours. I wonder if you've ever been prayed for by someone who was maybe an esteemed, spirit-filled preacher or prophet, but not actually left feeling loved or encouraged. Imagine the prophet who's richly blessed with spiritual gifts, uh, highly prophetic, but their actions aren't motivated out of kindness or compassion. They're dominating the meeting, uh, drawing the spotlight to themselves, and in a way that is making people maybe feel alienated or less holy or less good than they are. And when I was going through these examples in my head, I arrogantly dismissed them for me personally, as spiritual gifts aren't necessarily something I pride myself on. But how many times have I misused other gifts without the root basis of my actions being love? And often it's the actions or good works which are visible that I think we can risk falling into this danger with. We can look for recognition around us and lose sight of the individual or work that God wants to do. Maybe it's something as simple as hospitality. Without love, it's nothing. Maybe it's sacrificing your time or energy to serve, like Paul says in verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. This passage provokes us to look at ourselves and ask, what are the works in our lives that aren't rooted in love? What gifts are we offering without love? Then in verses 4 to 7, Paul goes on to give us a perfect example of love. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And what struck me about these verses, other than the fact that it's the classic wedding segment, is that this love is countercultural. In 2022, we are living in a world of self-care, self-made, but the love in this passage is costly and often requires laying down ourselves. And don't get me wrong here, I think looking after ourselves is of great importance. As Jesus said in Mark 12, love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus gave up his life for ours. He values us that much, so we should in turn value what he values. But something I noticed over COVID, and I don't know if other people did too, is how much self-care products were pushed, especially with a company that I was working for at the time. And these companies that were pushing self-care items over lockdown weren't doing so out of necessarily caring for the customers, but rather out of seeing an opportunity for sales. According to IRI data, self-care has become a vast $450 billion market. It is now a marketing tool, essentially. And every angle of the media these days, we are told, look out for number one, you do you. But actually, as we saw in that clip earlier... Johnny Brownlee, the older one, turned this this view on its head. The commentators said, we've never seen anything like this before. Questions of, is it allowed? 
Johnny's love for his brother was defying rules within the 2016 Olympics. In an individualistic competition, he rewrote the state of play. In that moment, he put his brother's health, success, and years of training above his own. And arm in arm, they finished the race. In this culture of solo sport and every man for himself, he was an anomaly. And we are called to show that same sacrificial love. We were built for community. And these verses here are about how we love our community and each other. So we're just going to go through them. Um, So the word love in these verses is translated from the Greek word agape, which in some translations as well is used uh, as charity. And I don't know about you, but when I think of charity, my mind immediately goes to an organisation often involving um, donating money or services. But actually the definition of biblical charity is the highest form of love signifying the reciprocal love between God and man that is made manifest in unselfish love of one's fellow men. And these verses here embody that. You can place the word love here for Jesus, and we are reminded of the perfect love that God has for us and the example of love he embodied in human form, Jesus Christ. And if you want a real challenge, I would challenge you to go through these verses and try replacing the, love, the word love with your own name. Does it ring true? Um, Beth is. I'm just not going to say anymore. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, verse four. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. A phrase... I remember coming out of my mouth often as a child was, but that's not fair. (laughs) Um, I hear I was a delightful child. Um, And more often than not, not, it was probably about someone getting something that I wanted or felt that I had a claim over, be it sweets, the last brownie, the last layer of past the parcel. And I'm sure there's people here who can relate to that, but now it's not the last layer of past the parcel. It could be a job promotion, an assessment mark, relationships, material things like a house, car, clothes, anything you can think of. And if we truly love our neighbour with the love that this passage is talking about, we will be so far from envying their welfare or well-being that we can't help but celebrate their successes. The next verse, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. This verse is a hard one. <laughs> it is not self-seeking. As I said earlier, this doesn't mean neglecting ourselves completely, but rather seeking ourselves while oh, but rather not seeking ourselves while neglecting others. It is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. This is one that I would really struggle to replace my name with. Um, A phrase my mum would often chant to us as kids was, forgive and forget. And actually, as an adult, I've come to the conclusion more recently that to be truly healthy, you can't have one without the other. Imagine it this way. For each uh, friendship or relationship, you have a cup. And every time that friend or family member wrongs you, a little bit of water is added to the cup. And if we forgive and forget, the cup is emptied. If we only forgive, the water stays there. And if the cup is nudged or knocked at this level, nothing big will really happen. The the water might wobble a little bit, but nothing big will happen. And then, lo and behold, a couple months later, something happens again and the friend wrongs you. You've chosen to forgive them, but now the cup is filling up because you can't really forget. And again and again, you forgive, but don't forget. The level rises, and now the water is so high that actually if this cup is knocked or nudged, 
the water will disperse everywhere. And it can be like this with our relationships. If we keep records of wrongs, then our reactions, like the water spilling out, will slowly become more and more heightened and costly. It's something that I'm constantly on a journey of learning. Forgive and forget. Don't let that cup fill up to breaking point. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What struck me about this verse is how often I personally think the worst of situations. I allow my thoughts to immediately go to worst case scenario. And actually when I do that, when I presume how someone will react or feel or even thinking, and I'm presuming the worst, I'm not loving them well. If we presume the worst of a scenario, we are most likely presuming the worst about the individuals it involves too. But love doesn't delight, doesn't rest in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. And one of the cultures we have here at CCM is think the best. And this is one that I feel maybe gets a little bit less limelight than the others. Um, but it's so at the core of this countercultural love. Jesus kept some interesting company while he was on earth. And the people he hung around with were without a doubt flawed. But he didn't focus on their flaws. Instead, he put... He saw past the flaws and focused on the person created in God's image, their potential, not mulling on the things they have done or could do. So we know from this passage that our offering without love is nothing. This love is countercultural and actually something we actively have to pursue and strive for. Then lastly, through this passage, we get an example of what perfect love looks like. I wonder if, if some of you feel... Sometimes as Christians, we can approach love almost closer to tolerance. We tolerate those who aren't like us as opposed to actively loving them. We tolerate those who have different views, hobbies, personalities to us as opposed to truly loving them. But as those in Christ, we have experienced and know a love that is greater than life itself. How can we then mirror that love with simple tolerance for one another? We are called to so much more. Jesus said in John 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love, just as I have loved you, you are also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Paul was continually challenging the Corinthians on being unified because they were a dysfunctional community. They didn't love each other well. They clamoured for the spotlight. There were divisions in class, race, cultural backgrounds. And as we saw from the passage last week, it's not about one member being more important than another. He described the church as a body, and Paul was reminding them that the body can't function without all of its parts. We are called to love one another as Christ loved us. And that's in actions, words, and the sharing of spiritual gifts. In 1 John 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not, know, does not, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I, had a quote, I heard a quote recently from the theologian and pastor John Piper, um, which was this. The first agenda is to be awakened afresh to the love that God has for us. That then is the resource with which we may love each other. 
We are to be constantly renewed and living in the knowledge of God's love for us so that we may then love one another. And 1 John 4 verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Earlier I mentioned how we should value what God values and how God values us so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for us. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, but God rich but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This immeasurable grace, kindness and love doesn't boast in gifts. It doesn't squeeze into our media's cultural perception of love and care. It is so much more. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. What's more, this love goes beyond the grave. Verse 12 says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Our knowledge and understanding of God's love will only grow when we meet him face to face in heaven. Our hope and faith will be fulfilled and love will remain. Pastor and commentator David Guzik says, the three great pursuits of the Christian life are not miracles, power and gifts. They are faith, hope and love.